All right, if you'll take your Bible this morning, let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 12, to begin with. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 12. I want to begin a message this morning, and we'll finish it up, Lord willing, next week. Let me ask a question. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? I trust that you do, because He is. Many people who call themselves Christians that even say that they believe that the Lord will come again someday, but you couldn't tell by the way they live their lives. They're not living lives if they are looking for the Lord to come. What we do, that is our behavior, shows whether we truly believe or not. Think about back in Noah's day. Noah believed God when God said a flood was coming. He showed his belief by obediently building the ark as the Lord commanded him to do. In other words, Noah had a faith that worked. (laughs) He had a faith that caused him to do something. And uh, I trust that the faith that we say that we have uh, is uh, a genuine faith that causes us to want to to do some things, to serve the Lord. Look at uh, Luke's Gospel there, chapter number 12, look at verse number 35. The Lord Jesus says here, He says, Let your loins be girded about, and let your lights, uh, and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when He will return from the wedding, that when He cometh and knocketh, they may open unto Him immediately. Blessed are those servants, notice this, whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that He shall gird Himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if He shall come uh, in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And uh, this note, that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Jesus speaks about the fact that He was going to be coming again. And although none of us know the day or the hour when Jesus will be coming for His saints, nevertheless we should know for certain that He is going to come again and that the time is short. And knowing that Jesus could come at any moment should motivate us to do some things. And that's what I want to speak about this morning and also uh, next week. For those who don't know the Lord, of course, the knowledge that Christ should come at any time should motivate them to want to get saved. Time is short for folks to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, Thank God for the salvation that He gives to us in Jesus. God's done His part. Uh, he provided his, 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 uh, his only begotten Son there and uh, allowed Him to be cruelly treated and, and crucified there on the cross of Calvary to pay the redemption of our sins. And we that are saved are blessed uh, because of that. And those that are not saved could be blessed if they'd received the Lord Jesus Christ, if they'd repent of their sin and receive the Lord. For those that don't know the Lord... The, the knowledge that Christ should come at any time should motivate them to want to get saved. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
Now, for those of us who are saved, it should do several things in our life as well. And these things are, are things I've said repeatedly in my 14, a little over 14 years being here as your pastor. Philippians 3, verse number 1, the Apostle Paul says, uh, To write the same things unto you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but to you it is safe. And these things that I preach and I've said over and over again uh, over these last 14 plus years, they're, they're truths that need to be, we need to be reminded of. They're truths that we need to take heed to. And so, let's begin this morning. The, the, the knowledge of Christ's soon coming should motivate us to long for His coming. And that's the idea behind blessed are those servants whom the Lord when He cometh shall find watching. They're longing for His coming. They're looking for His coming. They're anticipating His coming. Uh, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. You know, there ought to be a holy yearning for us to be clothed with our new body. We're going to get a new body one of these days. And I don't know about you, but uh, I have a lot of trouble with this body of mine. And the older I get, it seems like the more aches and pains that come along and the more issues that you have and the more you got to go see the doctors. And, and uh, I, it just uh, one thing after another. But uh, I'm looking forward to that time when uh, we're going to have a new body. Praise the Lord, and we're going to have a new life. What a, what a wonderful thing. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and verse number 1 through 10, it talks about that and we should, be, we should have a holy yearning to be clothed in our new body. Notice verse number 1, 2 Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, talking about our body, were dissolved, we have a building of God. An house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he says, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. In other words, we all have that we all have a desire, a strong desire to want to be clothed with that new body. Look at verse three. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, talking about this earthly flesh, do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but, but clothed upon that, look at this, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Amen? Mortality. That's, that's, we know that this flesh is destined to die. We've got an appointment with death. It's appointed a man wants to die after this to judgment. But think about that mortality being swallowed up of life. Verse 5. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are, whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So, we should have that holy yearning to be clothed with our 
new body. Uh, Paul also talked about this to the Roman believers in Romans 8.23. He says these words. He says, and not only they, talking about uh, how all of creation groans for, for the time when, we're gonna, uh, when we will ha- have our final redemption. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, talking about those of us that are saved. They say, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We know that uh, we have received the the redemption of the Lord. Our souls are redeemed, praise God. But we're looking for that redemption of the body uh, that is going to come. And we uh, accordingly ought to have a, a longing for His coming. Second thing I want us to see, and we're going to spend most of our time in this next passage of Scripture. Look at Titus chapter number 2. And I want to talk about this morning the, the knowledge of Christ's soon coming should motivate us to look for His coming. It should motivate us to look for His coming. Titus 2. Now let's take a look at several verses here and then we'll, we'll come back and take a look at them in detail. Titus 2 in verse... Number 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You know, the, the knowledge of Christ's soon coming should motivate us to look for his coming. He talked there about looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul tells us, uh, told Titus and tells us here, that the grace that truly brings salvation is a, in a person's life teaches them some things also. You know, when you got saved, the grace of God that saved you taught you some things in your life. Understand that our God is a God of all grace, according to 1 Peter 5.10. But the God of all grace, who has called us into His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, Establish, strengthen, settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And listen, because He is the God of all grace, that means that there are different types of grace that can come our way from Him. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that the Lord uh, protected me until the time I came to know Him as my Savior. You know, uh, what, a, what a blessing that was. There's that saving grace. And His saving grace... Uh, uh, came in my heart and life when I was uh, just a, a young man, uh, a teenager, uh, February 17th, 1971. Boy, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I praise God for the number of years that I've been saved. But I thank, thank for His great grace that has manifested in my life. But listen, because of our, our God, because He's the God of all grace, He, he gives us that saving grace. He had the ability to come to Him and, and believe on His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He secures us. 
It's not only saving grace, but securing grace and sanctifying grace. He sets us apart unto himself for his particular purposes. Uh, And he gives us grace to serve, serving grace. And we could talk about other graces, suffering grace, sustaining grace, satisfying grace, and sufficient grace. We could go on and on about God's grace, but look there at, at verse number 11. And I want us to see specifically here, it says, For the grace of God that, uh, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Let's, let's take a look at this for just a minute. The grace that brings salvation teaches us to leave some things behind in our life. Some things we ought to leave. Uh, teaching us that denying ungodliness. It teaches us to, to, to leave wrong deeds. Denying ungodliness means that we are to reject anything that is not godly in our lives. You know, if you're saved, they don't nobody really have to tell you much about what's godly and what's ungodly in your life. You've got the Holy Spirit of God living within. You know, we know the things we ought to be involved in from not only the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, but also the Word of God. We have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. And we know the things that we should and should not do. But the grace of God that saved us teaches us to, that we ought to leave those wrong deeds behind. Ungodliness, of course, is anything in our life that is not like God. It's not holy, not righteous or pure. Anything that does not honor God by word or deed, and that does not show reverence and worship toward God. Anything that does not obey God, that violates God's commandments and goes against His will, that does not honor Him and does not praise Him. Those are the things we leave behind. It teaches us to leave wrong deeds. It also teaches us to leave wrong desires. He not only said teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we, he said that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. He talked about leaving, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Denying worldly lust means that we are to reject the worldly longing for the forbidden. The worldly longing for the forbidden. Sadly, there are many people who name the name of Christ who have not left their wicked deeds or wicked desires behind. He kind of makes you question whether they really got the same thing uh, as what I have. I mean, the Bible says that the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts in our lives. And why is that? Well, we can understand it by observing what Scripture has to say about ungodliness and worldly lusts. Listen to James 1, verse 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. And so, we can understand from the Scriptures, Scripture says that there are some things that believers ought to, ought to flee from. Amen. Uh, to flee from something means to run away from it. Uh, one of the best examples in Scripture of this is Genesis 39, verse number 12, where Joseph was there with Potiphar's wife, and she was trying to seduce him. And he, uh, he, he fled. He sadly left his garment behind in the process, but he got out of there where, where the temptation was. Paul told the Corinthians to flee fornication. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, he said, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 
Paul also told the Corinthians to flee idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10, 14. And listen, you know, we, we have the idea sometimes that we, well, that idolatry is not something we have to deal with in, in our present day and time. Listen, anything that you put before God is an idol. Anything that you put before God. Actually, I have no other gods before me. So if God doesn't have first place, there could be some, uh, there, there's idols in your, in your life. Paul told Timothy to flee covetousness in 1 Timothy 6.11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. And that's spoken in the context of desiring to be rich and loving money. You know, we're, we live in a very uh, materialistic world. Uh, people's lives are focused a lot around uh, making money and making a lot of it and the things that money can buy. We as believers, that's not to be our, what our life is about. You know, uh, we're to live our lives simply, uh, being satisfied that the Lord provides for our needs and to, uh, to glorify Him with what He has given us. Colossians 3, verse number 5, Paul told the Colossian church, said, Mortify therefore, that is put to death your members which are upon the earth. And he says, Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. So again, he, he talked there against the fleeing fornication and covetous boasts. Um, Paul told Timothy to flee youthful lust. In 2 Timothy 2.22, said, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You know, Scripture says there's, there are some things that, believer, that believers should abstain from as well. 1 Peter 2, verse number 11, Peter said, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Sadly, Many folks feed their flesh rather than abstain from the things of the flesh. Abstain from those fleshly lusts. They, they uh, use the things of the world that stir those things up within us. First Thessalonians 5.22 tells us to abstain from all appearance of evil. Scripture also says that there are some things that believers should shun and refuse. 2 Timothy 2.16, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth canker. Profane, what does that mean? The profane is heathenish, wicked. You know, things that are uh, not godly. The vain babblings mean they're empty, they're fruitless discussion. People try to get you involved in some fruitless discussion sometimes. and need to, to avoid that. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, But refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Scripture also says that there are some things that believers should abhor. Romans 12, verse number 9 says, Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. You know, the word abhor means to detest it. Does sin make you sick? Does the evil of this world make you sick? Well, you ought to have an abhorrence for it. You ought to detest it if you're a child of God. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave. I mean, stick like glue. Amen. Stick like glue to that which is good. The grace that brings salvation teaches us to leave some things, to leave the wrong deeds and leave wrong desires. But the grace that brings salvation also teaches us to live some things. 
mentioned there in verse number 12. Teaches us to live undistracted lives. So that word soberly, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly. Soberly means with a sound mind. If your mind is not sound, listen, you'll be easily distracted from the truth and you'll be easily distracted from God's call on your life. A sound mind comes from having the right things going on in your mind. But sadly, many believers lack a sound mind because they allow into the avenues of their senses of hearing and sight those things that ought not to be there. Too many believers listen to what the world says and begin to live their lives molded by the world's principles rather than by God's principles. Living their lives molded by what they see in the world rather than what they read in the Word. Our, word, our, our lives are to be molded by the Word of God. In order to live soberly, listen, we must guard our eyes, guard our ears, and judge everything that we see and hear by the Word of God rather than by our own human reasoning. James 1 and verse 8 says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. May the Lord help us to have a sound mind. Amen. So it teaches us to live undistracted lives, but also it teaches us to live unblameable lives. That word righteously there. Uh, soberly live righteously. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. We ought, we ought not to live as close to the edge as possible, but we ought to move as far away from sin as possible. Amen? In our lives. 1 John 3.7 says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. There's a preacher friend of mine up in um, St. Joseph, Missouri, pastoring a church. Pastor Mill Marshall he used to be a, a evangelist that uh, used to have in when we pastored up in Indiana, a dear friend. And um, he put it this way. He says, quote, We don't become sinless when we get born again, but we should sin less. You don't get sinless, but you should sin less. Amen? That, that makes sense. I'm not speaking about a work salvation, but rather of a salvation that works. When a person says they've been born again and show little or no evidence of that in their lives, listen to me, something's wrong somewhere. Something's wrong. The grace of God also teaches us to live unselfish lives, undistracted lives, unblameable lives, unselfish lives. God, live godly. And that's uh, what we're going to be taking a look at uh, next week uh, as we look at part two of this. So why, should, why serve the Lord now? Well, we've been told that we have been saved for the purpose of uh, the Lord living His life in our lives. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen, we've been bought by the Lord. We are not our own. We are to live for the Lord because we, we are His. Yet today there are too many believers who say, well, you know, it's my life. I'm going to live it as I want. No, it's not ours anymore. Uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ purchased our life. Apostle Paul wrote this about his own life in Christ. In Galatians 2 verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, 
I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Listen, there are too many believers who do not allow Christ to live His life and their life and shine through. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Roman believers in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 that we saw just recently in our Sunday evening messages. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The Lord wants us to live for Him. A sacrificial life for God. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Yet today there are many, too many believers who keep their bodies selfishly to themselves. You know, I just imagine if you were to go outside of the walls of the church today, it wouldn't take you long that you could find that there are some folks that call themselves Christians that are involved in activities other than being in church where they ought to be at today. Maybe out doing uh, some fishing out on the lake, maybe doing some skiing or, or doing something else. But listen, if you're a child of God, you ought to want to be in the house of God and uh, you ought to want to, to, to uh, glorify God with your body. So the grace that brings salvation teaches us to leave some things. It teaches us to live some things. And the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to look for some things. There, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, looking for that blessed hope means looking for deliverance from the presence of sin. Romans 8.23 calls it the redemption of our body. I'm glad that when God saved us, He saved us from the, from, from the penalty of sin. Wasn't that a wonderful thing for Him to do? He also now, you know, in the present, we're being saved from the power of sin. With the power, sin shouldn't have any power in our lives. But one of these days, praise the Lord, He's going to save us from the very presence of sin, and we ought to be looking for that time, looking for that uh, point when we're going to uh, we're we're going to receive our, the redemption of our body. Looking for that blessed hope means looking for deliverance into the presence of the Savior. Look at, um, hold your place there in Titus just a minute. Look at uh, 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John 2. And look toward the end of the chapter there, verse number 28. And the Apostle John writes here, 1 John 2, 28, And now, little children, abide in Him, abide in Christ, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Uh, look at chapter number 3. Look at verses, the first three verses there. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself even as he is pure. So, listen, looking for that blessed hope means looking for uh, deliverance into the very presence of the Savior when we're going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. 
we will stand before Him one day. And I want you to see that the grace that brings salvation teaches us not only to leave some things, live some things, and look for some things, but the grace that brings salvation teaches us to lean on Christ for some things. Back in our text there uh, of Titus, I hope you held on to that. Look at Titus 2 and verse number 14. It talks about the Lord, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself, it says there in Titus 2.14, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, notice, zealous of good works. Yeah, we've been saved to serve. And so the answer to the question, why should we serve the Lord now? Because that's what we were saved to do. <laughs> Amen? We were saved to serve. Uh, the grace that brings salvation teaches us to lean on Christ for some things. We, we have leaned on Him for redemption. No one else could save us. Just Jesus, praise the Lord. And we leaned on Him for that redemption. And we, can, we now lean on Him for renewal. No one else can change us into the likeness of Jesus other than Jesus. We don't need the positive thinking gurus. We don't need some self-help book. We have all we need in Christ and His Word. We lean on Him for righteous living. Listen, Christ is our purpose for righteous living. Christ is our pattern for righteous living. And He is our power for righteous living. We see that the grace that brings salvation also teaches us to lead with some things. There in verse 15. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You know, I continue to speak. I continue to exhort you. I continue to rebuke you. Why do I do those things? Because that's the ministry God has given me. And really it's the ministry given to all of us. We, we are to lead with our lips. We're to speak with all authority. You know that when I stand behind this pulpit, I come to you with, Thus saith the Lord. We preach the Word of God. And I exhort you uh, with all authority. Exhort means to call near, to invite, or to invoke. And I rebuke with all authority. We're to, we're to lead with our lips. We're to lead with our lives. He said, Let no man despise thee. And I found one of the things that people despise the most is hypocrisy. So, we're, we're to lead... Uh, with our lips and with our lives. I wonder this morning, do you have the grace of God that brings salvation in your life? If not, you can have that grace today. In fact, we invite you to come today. We're going to have a hymn of invitation here in just a minute. We're going to sing uh, a hymn, and I'll be standing down front. If you need the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you come see me. We'll get you some help today. And if you... Do not know His saving grace. You can have that grace today. If you say, yeah, I have the grace, preacher. Is it teaching you anything in your life? Has it taught you anything? If not, you need to be checking to make sure that you've got the right grace. Better than that. Listen, if the grace that you have is teaching you these things, are you learning anything? You know, a lot of times we can learn, but we ain't learning. We can, we can hear with our ears and we can even, uh, we can even allow them to come into our heart but we wind up like James 1.22. We wind up as, 
as hearers only, not doers. The Lord wants us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. May God help us so that when His grace, the grace that brings salvation, teaches us these things, we will be teachable and learn these things in our lives. Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank You this morning.